Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Fantasy Baseball today on July 14th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we are going to preview the second half with sleepers, breakouts, busts, early trade deadline chatter, which bullpens could maybe be shaken up here at the trade deadline. Plus, we'll help you set your lineups for this weekend, next week, if you're playing a long week, Every lineup setting you can imagine, we are going to cover you. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Scotty, baseball is back. I'm hyped. Are you ready for the second half? I am. I am ready for the second half. Yeah. No, it's good. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of something clever to say. It's not coming. Sorry. <laughs> totally fine. Let's just get into it, man. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts for the second half. If you've been following along with the Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter, uh, they also go up on the website. I, Chris does a great job with those. You probably know some of our picks already, sleepers, breakouts, and busts, but we'll kind of expand on them a little bit more here. Uh, and Scott, we'll start with you. Your sleepers, you can list out all three. You could talk about all three if you want to, or you could just highlight one of the three if you want. Uh, but your sleepers that you gave Chris for the second half, Jonathan Aranda, Nick Lodolo, and Dane Myers from the Miami Marlins. Yeah, that's a fun group, huh? Now, I, I, sh I, I want to give you a little peek behind the curtain here, my process for coming up with these three sleepers. So, um, as you know, I was on vacation last week. As vacation was winding down, I received a text from Chris saying, hey, could you send me three sleepers for the second half? And I was on vacation and I was driving and I just kind of wanted to answer the text. So I, I just, three names that happened to be in my head, uh, I sent him at that moment. I, so I didn't go through my normal process when it comes to picking out sleepers of making a list of like 24 names and then narrowing it down to my favorite three to make sure I get like actually my favorite three sleepers. Jonathan Aranda, 
Nick Lodolo, Dane Myers are the names. But I will point out that that part of the reason they were on my mind is I had just put in my waiver claims for the week. And in deep 15-team leagues, I got all three of these guys for basically no fab dollars. So I was, you know, if, if nobody's interested in them in those leagues, then I, I feel like they're genuine sleepers. And so that's why I wanted to highlight them. Okay, anyway, preamble out of the way. Um, Jonathan Aranda, who is back in the majors, I'll point out, with Yandi Diaz being on paternity leave. So probably what that means is Aranda will start back-to-back games and then be sent back down because Rays are going to Ray. Rays going to Ray. How, how do I say that? I think I that's think right. Rays are going to, yeah, Rays are going to raise. That, that doesn't sound right. Nonetheless, I am still calling him a sleeper for the second half because, my gosh, his numbers at AAA Durham are incredible. 342 batting average, 16 homers. That's right, I said 342. 16 homers, a 1044 OPS, a 455 on-base percentage, by the way, because his plate discipline is so good, whether you're talking about walks or strikeouts. He's always had um, an incredible hit tool has Jonathan Aranda. Uh, but I think his power has been kind of undersold in fantasy circles. I, I know I haven't given him enough credit for that in the past. As I mentioned, 16 home runs. His average exit velocity at AAA is 91.7 miles per hour. His max exit velocity is 112.5 miles per hour. This is a guy who really clobbers the ball in addition to making a ton of contact. So it's it's not surprising when you look at that data that Jonathan Aranda has the kind of numbers he has at AAA. I think the main reasons reasons he hasn't gotten, uh, being a 25-year-old, the main reason he hasn't gotten a, uh, a an honest look in the majors yet is that he plays for the race. That's reason number one. And they just have so many redundancies already that it's hard to make room for him. But the second reason is he's kind of positionless. He's one of those players kind of like Edward Julian, who they've tried in a few different spots and he's not a great fit anywhere, which probably means he's going to wind up at second or third base. But those are especially difficult positions to, to fit in at. So uh, in, in order for Jonathan Aranda to make good on this sleeper breakthrough, it's it's going to take an injury or two probably, but injuries are pretty common. And because he has exposure to so many positions, and obviously because the Rays don't have a dedicated DH, there's certainly a way he could get in the lineup. I think it's telling that when he has come come up when he when he did come up for those couple games last time they started him like they they see the potential in him they just don't have anyone they can get rid of for him so that's jonathan ronda aranda 12 percent rostered on cbs right now and scott mentioned he's going to be back for the next couple days likely to be sent back down after that and i think he fits into the impact prospects podcast that the Welsh and I did the other day, just names you want to hold on to that again, could make an impact at some point here in the second half. That is Jonathan Aranda. Uh, I'll quickly mention the other two that you had on this list. Scott Lodolo currently on the IL isn't expected back until August. We know the surface level stats were awful before he went on the IL, but a 12.3 K per nine, 375 XFIP, 341 Sierra, uh, lots of swinging strikes. Now is the time to add Nick Lodolo before he returns. And the other name, Dane Myers, 
more so for NL only, uh, really deep mixed leagues, but... Well, I mean, it's the truest sleeper. Yes. He was crushing the minors. He's older. He's 27 years old. He's kind of a journeyman, I guess, in the minors, but 335... Not exactly a, not exactly a journeyman. His, his backstory, Dane Myers, is that he was a pitcher. He, he, had, he did spend time in the Tigers organization before that, but he started out as a pitcher and then converted to hitter. So, you know, he, he got stuck in the minors to an advanced age, as we're seeing. Between double and triple A this year, Dane Myers was hitting 335 with 13 homers and a 956 OPS, a very low strikeout rate, similar to Aranda. And uh, I think the exit velocities, I want to say they've been pretty good. They're pretty good for him, too. Yeah, 91.2 average exit velocity, 110.9 max exit velocity. Not quite as good as Aranda, but still really good. Dane Myers uh, looks like a legit hitter. And since coming up, he's, he's, he's filling in for, for Jazz Chisholm. So obviously Chisholm's going to be back at some point. Will Myers have earned his stay by that point? It's, it's hard to say. But so far, he's been playing center field every day for the Marlins and batting 409. He's 9 for 22 so far with a homer and a double. Uh, and I think very interesting. Like, he could be this year's Joey Manessis, except the talent, I, I, I think the, the, the underlying data is more supportive of that in Myers' case than it was for Manessis last year. Again, Scott's three sleepers for the second half. Jonathan Aranda, Nick Lodolo, and Dane Myers. The three names that I provided Chris were Spencer Torkelson, CJ Abrams, and Kenta Maeda. I'll start with Torkelson. I talked about him from time to time in the first half here. He showed some signs. He's batting 228 with 12 home runs, a 711 OPS, and he's done a better job lifting the ball this season. He hits it really hard. 92.5 average exit velocity. That's 92nd percentile. 12.2% barrel rate. That's 81st percentile. So he has the makings of a power hitter. It doesn't help that he plays in Comerica Park, and it's a really bad lineup around him. But again, He's kind of showed some flashes. I think there's a chance he can kind of take off here in the second half. He's 65% rostered. I think he's more of like a corner infield type. Um, and I'd take him ahead of names like Carlos Santana and Garrett Cooper and Josh Bell. Personally, um, again, that's Spencer Torkelson. C.J. Abrams recently moved up to the leadoff spot for the Washington Nationals. And in a very brief three games, he has six hits and a steal in each of those three games. He's only batting 245 this season. Quietly has seven home runs, 14 steals. That's a 12 homer, 25 steal pace, 43% rostered. Much like Torkelson, I don't know that there's massive upside here, but if you play in a roto league, a middle infielder, something like that, uh, I think Abrams could be solid. A little bit of power, uh, some speed there as well. I would take him ahead of names like Javier Baez, Geraldo Perdomo, Zach Geloff, and Edouard Julian, who we spoke about what, on yesterday's what, podcast. What's interesting about Abrams is... So he has 14 home runs on the season, as you pointed out. Five came in the last four games before the All-Star break. So he finally, like, he, he was touted as having 80-grade speed and just hasn't really run that much. I mean, yes, now he's on pace for 25 steals, but in this environment, 25 steals from a guy with a very suspect bat is, you know, not that valuable. Uh, and, and it was only made possible by five steals in his last four games. So hopefully that's something he leans into more in the second half. Hopefully that four-game stretch was the start of it for Abrams. C.J. Abrams, 83rd percentile in sprint speed, too. So I agree. I think he probably could run more. I think the talent is there. It's also a matter of getting on base, right? He doesn't walk very much, and 
chases a lot of pitches and clearly not hitting for a great batting average. There's still a ways to go for CJ Abrams, but he's still very young, 22 years old. And clearly the uh, Nationals want to test him a little bit by moving him up to the leadoff spot. Kent Maeda is the last name that I have written down here. He has allowed just three earned runs total in three starts since returning from the IL. Overall, the season, he has a 518 ERA, and it's kind of um, it's kind of blown up because of one start where I think he gave up like nine or ten runs, so obviously that makes it look a lot worse. But the underlying ERA estimators look a lot better for Kent Maeda. He's got a near 13% swinging strike rate, and he's only 59% rostered, so he could be out there. And just to kind of put it in perspective where I've ranked Kent Maeda, I would take Alec Manoa and Tarek Skubal ahead of him. You know, those are guys that we've kind of touted recently as waiver ads. Uh, but I would take Maeda ahead of Kyle Hendricks and Domingo Herman. So he's kind of right in the middle of that mix. Scott, would you agree with that ranking of Kent Maeda? I got really excited about him early this season, and then he fell apart quickly. It, it may have been health related. I think we need I, I think we need more evidence to say for sure, but certainly he's looked good again since coming back. Uh I I'd hesitate with Domingo Herman. I, I think Maeda over Hendricks, that's fine. There's a big difference in terms of upside there. Herman is just is so interesting because the underlying stats, the, the the stuff we tend to care about most, suggest he should be much better than he is. I, I'm not so much talking about like expected ERA, but the fact the swinging strikeout rate is so high, the fact the strikeout to walk ratio is so good because he hardly walks anybody. Like Domingo Herman in theory, has this incredible ceiling. But it only appears in flashes. Like, he had the perfect game, and then he had a terrible start. And then in his final start before the All-Star break, he, he gave up one hit. So two of his last three starts, Domingo Herman's allowed a combined one hit. Yeah. While getting a bunch of strikeouts and walking hardly anybody. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to lean him over Maeda. But... You know, you always feel like the next meltdown's right around the corner for Herman, too. Yeah, I think part of the problem with Herman, as you mentioned, he doesn't walk many people. He throws a lot of strikes, and it gets him in trouble at times. He has these meltdown starts where he gives up a lot of fly balls, which turn into home runs, and it just kind of snowballs. Maeda had, obviously, an awful start earlier this year, too, with the nine or ten runs, whatever it was, but it feels like that's happened more frequently uh, for Domingo Herman. And it may have been health-related with Maeda, as we said. Right. Um uh, and Domingo Herman keeps having issues, sticky substance issues. So who knows, <laughs> who knows how much that plays into everything too. I'm sh- actually, I can't say that I'm sure of it, but I feel like if you get caught for a second time using sticky substances, it's probably a harsher penalty than just ten games, right? I would imagine, but I don't know. All right, let's move over to the breakouts for the second half here, Scott. And the three names you provided were Brett Beatty, Tarek Skubal, and Reed Detmers. The floor is yours. All right. So, Reed Detmers, with the exception of the final start before the All-Star break, seemed like he had figured it out again. He had taken a little bit off that slider after the velocity was way up in this spring. Way up this spring. It continued at the start of the regular season. He just seemed very inconsistent, uh, very um, inefficient, walking too many guys, not pitching deep enough into games. And then he took a little off that slider, got it back to the velocity we saw after his stint in the minors last year when, remember, second half Reed Detmers was awesome. So, like, his success really depends on whether that slider is working, and it seemed like he'd figured it out again. 
his uh, a five start stretch leading up to his final start before the All Star break. Reed Detmers had a one forty two ERA. He had forty three strikeouts in thirty one and two thirds innings, which is ridiculous, obviously. But then there was that final start before the All Star break. He allowed seven earned runs. He allowed three home runs. Okay. I think that gives you a chance to buy low on him still because the last memory Reed Detmer's owner has of him is that meltdown start. His ERA's back up to 431. Uh, yeah, maybe he was gaining some trust with the five starts that came before then. And it's worth pointing out the slider velocity wasn't back up or down. It was right where it had been in that meltdown start, right where it seemed like the sweet spot for Reed Detmer's. And it just happened to be a bad start against the good Dodgers lineup. So, you know, I give him a pass for that. I think overall he's trending the right direction. He's got the slider figured out again, and I think uh, Reed Detmers could be huge in the second half. Tarek Skubal, you guys probably talked about this a lot when I was gone. Uh, the fastball velocity up a couple miles per hour from last year, and the fastball was really the weak point for him. That was the pitch that got him in the most trouble prior to this flexor, elbow flexor surgery. That was the surgery, right, for Tarek Skubal? Sounds right. Uh, last year, he he was having semi a semi breakout season. Then three fifty two ERA, one sixteen WHIP, eight point nine K per nine. But you know, less than fully dominant. And the fastball was the main reason why. Now the fastball is playing like a great pitch because he's throwing it harder. His first two starts off the IL, though short, four inning outings have been awesome. And I think once Tarek Skubal gets stretched out, he's he could go off. He could have a much bigger breakout than the one we were looking at prior to the injury in 2022. And then Brett Beatty. I think it's telling that the Mets were willing to trade Eduardo Escobar to the angels. Even as they're trying to desperately get back in the playoff race, they've, they've turned third base over to Brett Beatty almost completely. Uh, and the production hasn't been there, 244 batting average, 669 OPS. But the data is still exactly what you want to see. 73rd percentile average exit velocity, 89th percentile max exit velocity. He's striking out at, you know, not a terrible rate, 26.5%. Like, it's it's not like, oh, he's not making enough contact and that's the reason why he's struggling. Uh, I, I think he's having to feel it out the way so many high-end prospects have had to, and the way, you know, we saw Gunnar Henderson struggle for so long earlier this year. Um, who else? Uh, Jordan Walker to a degree. I mean, Michael Harris to a degree, even when it seemed like he had a great, even coming off a great rookie season. So it's, we talked about how the transition from the majors ha- has been tougher, but you definitely see the path to success there for Brett. Beatty like he has the he has the tools in place to take off and he has the opportunity now with Eduardo Escobar being gone so uh, I'm hopeful it happens and I find it telling that the week leading up to the all-star break the Mets faced two lefties and Brett Beatty started against both of them so mm-hmm. I wonder if he's going to play more here in the second half, too. For the reason you mentioned, they traded away Eduardo Escobar. So kind of feels like they're handing it over here to Brett Beatty. Hits the ball hard. Too many ground balls. I mean, that's been an issue for Brett Beatty. Hopefully he can you know lift the ball a little bit more here in the second half. Scott, if we're just talking about a corner infield spot, who would you rather have, Brett Beatty or Spencer Torkelson, who I mentioned as a sleeper earlier on? 
I ha- I prefer Brett Beatty. Okay. I mean, Spencer Torkelson has a lot of the same things going for him, but he has underachieved for a lot longer <laughs> with those same things going for him. So I'm, it just makes me more skeptical all the way around. All right. I think it's close. I, I would take Torkelson, obviously. Uh, spoke about him a little bit earlier. Let's take our first break, and then we'll come back. I'll give you my three breakouts, and then we have some busts. We'll get into uh, week 16. We've got some news and notes. We'll do all of that right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball Today, and a quick reminder to follow us on Twitter. The FBT Twitter is at FBTPod. That's where we tweet out all the links to watch us live or to listen to the podcast. You can follow Scott at CBS Scott White. You can follow me at Roto underscore Frank. And if you're watching us live on YouTube, you could scan that QR code. That will take you right to the FBT Twitter account. The breakouts that I have written down here for the second half include... Jordan Walker, Seiya Suzuki, and Gavin Williams. Jordan Walker spoke about him the other day, 31 games since returning from the minors, a 288 batting average with six home runs, one stolen base, four caught stealing. So I kind of worry that they'll give him the red light at some point if he's that inefficient. But I do think he's going to hit for batting average and power. Uh, the plate discipline looks good. He's hitting the ball extremely hard. 93.6 average exit velocity since returning. Too many ground balls like Brett Beatty. So again, lift that ball. I think we could see a big power breakout for Jordan Walker in the second half. Seiya Suzuki, I've touted him all year. I still think that there's a player there. I know he's been disappointing. 259 batting average, seven home runs, only one stolen base. He's actually been dropped in a bunch of leagues. He's 59% rostered, which frankly kind of surprised me a little bit. But um, the walk rate is good, 11%. So I like that plate discipline for him. He's still hitting the ball hard. 92.1 average exit velocity for Seiya Suzuki. Uh, and the last name here is Gavin Williams, who's he's kind of been middling since getting called up. He's got a 401 ERA, a 109 whip, 10.8% swinging strike rate. Um, the K to walk ratio hasn't been great. I Looking at his pitch breakdown, he gets whiffs with his fastball, 25% whiff rate. The slider up over 30%. That's solid. Uh, the curveball has done a good job in terms of getting outs, a 111 batting average, and the changeup has been okay as well, 25% whiff rate. I think the ingredients are there, and I trust the Guardians. They do a really good job with pitching prospects and with pitching in general. So uh, I would be buying on Gavin Williams. Let's quickly run through some of the busts here. Scott, the three names you have here are Lane Thomas, Yandy Diaz, and Bryce Miller. Mm. Get ready for the hate mail, Scott. <laughs> For which one? I don't know. <laughs> I, I would say Bryce Miller's the one I'm most confident in calling a bust. 
I think he has a very good fastball, but it's not like Spencer Strider good. And I I don't think like I, I, I think he needs other pitches to go along with it. He throws other pitches, but he doesn't throw them very much. And it doesn't seem like they're they're going to do much to take pressure off the fastball. And even when he pitches well, for the most part, there there aren't a lot of strikeouts. So like we we could have made these same critiques for George Kirby and have for basically the whole time he's been in the majors and he just continues to deliver results. So maybe Bryce Miller, the same thing can happen for him. The fact he's in the same organization, the fact he hardly walks anybody like George Kirby. There's there's a case to be made for that. But generally speaking, when when somebody when somebody does something he's not supposed to be able to do, I'm not so much counting on lightning to strike twice. You know, I, I think Bryce Miller, and certainly we've seen some ugly starts from him this year. I, I think he just, I don't see, I, I don't think he has enough to work with, bottom line. So Bryce Miller, calling him a bust for the second half. Lane Thomas, I, you know, I just think he's been, he's kind of given us his 90th percentile outcome here in the first half, and it's made him, what, like a top 15 outfielder in fantasy so far? He's eighth overall in Roto and 12th in head-to-head points. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Getting a lot of at-bats at the top of the lineup. Not doing anything particularly well, just doing everything kind of well. So, like, it it wouldn't take much for that house of cards to come tumbling down. He's overperforming by the StatCast data. Obviously, he has a long track record of being just kind of a meh player. So I, I have a hard time believing Lane Thomas is going to be able to sustain what he's done so far. And we talked about Yandy Diaz the other day. I, I, I kind of hesitate to call him a bust pick because I don't think it's particularly actionable. If you get rid of Yandy Diaz, there's not much you could do about first base. I mean, unless you're getting, unless you're trading him in, in a deal that gets you Vladimir Guerrero or, or one of the obvious upgrades at that position. There are a few like, lateral moves to make there. There there are a few first basemen beyond the obvious top five that I I think could compete with even a lesser version of Yandy Diaz. But the fact remains his ground ball rate, which has held him back from being a stud in the past, has escalated every month this year. And for the season now, it's actually lower than it was last year. A guy in his 30s having a career best year you know, you, you could make the case for it. Oh, he hits the ball really hard and he's finally elevating it. That was the case early on, but he's not elevating it anymore. He's, he looks a lot like Yandy Diaz of years past. Because he's such a good plate discipline guy, because he bats leadoff in a good lineup, I don't think the bottom's going to fall out completely. And again, he plays the thin position, so what are you going to do about it? Uh, points leagues, probably hard to call him a bust at all because he, he he's hardly strikes out. Right. But I think Yandy Diaz is going to be worse in the second half and possibly significantly worse. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either Lane Thomas or Yandy Diaz is going to bottom out per se, but they really have played to, you know, like you said, a 90th percentile outcome or even better. I mean, frankly, this might be Lane Thomas's 99th percentile the way he's played so far this season. So if you can flip those guys, obviously you have to get a, a very high return um, in you know, for those players, but um, yeah, don't just get rid of them for the sake of it. I had two names written down here, Scott. If you could flip Lane Thomas, I think I know the answer. For either one, Kyle Schwarber, Pablo Lopez. Are those two names that you would try to individually trade Lane Thomas for? 
Yeah. I think that's, yeah. I think those are, again, like you're trying to get a top 20, top 25 outfielder rest of season in Schwarber and Pablo Lopez, you know, the same as starting pitcher. He's like a top 25 starting pitcher rest of the way. Bust for me in the second half. The first name here is Isak Paredes, a name we haven't talked about much this year, but he's currently a top 80 player in Roto, averaging 3.1 fantasy points per game. He is batting 265 with 16 home runs, 56 RBI, and an 874 OPS. The plate discipline is actually very good. 11% walk rate, 18% strikeout rate. The quality of contact is just so bad. And we don't have enough of a sample size with Paredes to know whether or not he can sustain this. Maybe he's just a player that will overachieve expected numbers, but 87 mile per hour average exit velocity, 29% hard hit rate. I mean, this is really bad stuff. 220 XBA, 354 X slug. A name that I wrote down here, Scott, I would try and flip Paredes for Jordan Walker. If you could pull that off, it's something I would try to do. And, you know, some people listening, no one's going to take that trade. Why would you even say that? Well, Chris brought up the Yandy Diaz for Vlad Jr. trade the other day. I didn't think it was possible. And then someone Mm -hmm. tweeted at us and said that they made the trade. So, I don't know. Someone might be willing to do it. Well, somebody on on Twitter was telling me today that they just traded Cody Bellinger for Austin Riley. Oof. Nice. So, I mean, Austin Riley is as underachieved this year. And I, I do think it was a points league, which is Riley's lesser format, which is Bellinger's better format. But still, even in a points league, I'd much rather have Riley. So, like, I, I, I've, I've talked about this a few times this year, kind of my frustration with trading and not exactly knowing how other people I'm trading with evaluate players like are are they looking at recent performance more are they looking at season long performance more like unless you can get a real good back and forth going to get an idea of what they're what they value in a player it's hard to know um it's hard to know if they're going to value a player differently from you right i think part of that is just i'm me so (laughs) if i make a trade offer with anybody they're automatically going to be um suspicious of my motives and extra discerning, extra critical. And maybe the average listener doesn't have to worry about that. I don't know. It depends how dominant you've been in your league over the years, I guess. Two pitchers that I have as bust for the second half. Charlie Morton has had a very solid season so far. 3.43 ERA, loads of strikeouts, but some scary signs as well. 3.9 walks per nine. That's his highest since 2011. A 141 whip. That is the 12th highest among qualified starting pitchers. He also has a 450 XERA, according to StatCast. Maybe he gets the walks down and the whip drops, but uh, I'm I'm betting against that, personally, uh, for a 39-year-old pitcher. If you can flip him for Tyler Glass now, who the overall numbers still don't look good, or even you, Darvish, that's something that I would try and do. And the last name is Dane Dunning. I think this one's obvious. You know, 284 ERA, 113 whip but a 9.4% K-minus walk rate. That is tied for fifth lowest among qualified starting pitchers. He's got a 457 XFIP, 472 XERA. I'm not sure how much you can get for Dane Dunning, but I'd throw the name out there, kind of float him around, and see if you can get anything of value for Dane Dunning. He did have two of his best starts of the year just right before the All-Star break. I don't know if I don't know if it was literally the last start before the All-Star break, but like two of his last three starts before the All-Star break were his best of the year, Dane Dunnings. And so that might help with your trade negotiations. Cause I, I agree. I don't see a lot there. 
I guess the one I take you to task on is Charlie Morton. And I hate to keep defending Charlie Morton because I'm basically out on Charlie Morton at this point. And the fact he's 39 years old, am I ever going to be back in on him? Probably not. But it does seem more like... like it, it's hard to imagine him getting worse than he's been so far. The whip is very high, mostly because the walks, like you said, but the ground ball rate... The, the, the biggest issues he had last year, uh, the ground ball rate has returned to normal. The home run rate is way down. His, his swinging strike rate is still 12.7%. It's as good as it's ever been. Uh, his strikeout rate, in, in terms of K per nine, is over 10. So that's still as good as it's ever been. It's just he's been inefficient, and that's made the overall production for Charlie Morton kind of blah. But I think it's more likely that that improves than that one of those other areas goes wrong. You know, yeah, for me, it's if the walks don't improve, then I think at some point that's going to affect his ERA. I feel like he's been lucky in that regard so far, just maintaining a 343 ERA with as many walks as he's given up gives up a good amount of hard contact, too. So uh, I think if those things, again, if they remain, they're probably going to affect his ERA at some point in the second half. But if he improves on them, then I'll probably look wrong. Uh, That is Charlie Morton. Let's get into our uh, week 16 preview. We split this up from week 17 that we'll talk about a little bit later on. So I mentioned whatever lineup setting you have, we're going to talk about it. So this is for the short weekend. If you just set your lineup for the three days this weekend, or if you play the long week, we're talking from July 14th to July 23rd. So from this Friday all the way until next Sunday. So we're going to cover both of those Right now, we'll start with this weekend, Scott, and the sleeper pitchers, I have them all written down here. Should I just list them off, or do you want to read them? I'm sure you have them available. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just talk about them, sure. if that's fine. Let's do it. And I will say, I'll preface the whole thing by saying, this is the default CBS setting, the, the three-day weekend, a separate week. So when we're, we're, we're doing the weekly numbering system from this point forward, this three-day weekend is week 16. Next weekend is week 17. If you combine it into a 10-day scoring period, your weekly numbering is going to be all off for the rest of the season. So just fair warning there. Obviously, if you play in a Roto League, there's no reason not to make it a three-day scoring period. Right. It's only a head-to-head league where you might be inclined to extend it to 10. And I actually have a couple of head-to-head leagues where rather than doing three days or 10 days, I make it two five-day scoring periods and just have a random midweek lineup setting so that you don't lose that extra scoring period, but you're not exposed to the volatility of a three-day scoring period either. Either. Anyway, let's talk about the three-day scoring period since that's what most people are, are going to be using. Uh, it, it makes it it makes it all the more likely you're going to want to pick up a pitcher off the waiver wire because obviously over a three-day period, not... Every pitcher is going to even make one start. Uh, uh, there are a couple of teams that haven't announced their rotation plans at all yet. Uh, the Nationals and the Athletics. And I don't believe the Dodgers have beyond Julio Arias going on Friday. So there's still a lot of questions here. It's still a lot of speculation to a certain degree. That's always true. But it's, 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 it's even scarier going into a three-day scoring period. Some of the names you might want to consider picking up if they are available, and if you do have an opening, Martin Perez going against the Guardians. His overall ERA is bad, but it's a, it's a Jekyll and Hyde situation. His, his good starts are very good indeed. He goes 
six plus innings, gives up two earned runs or fewer. And that happens more often than not with Martin Perez. It's just then he has these terrible starts that inflate his ERA. It's going against the Guardians, so I think more likely than not, you're going to get a good start over the weekend. Kyle Gibson against the Marlins, sort of the same deal for him. He's very durable, goes deep into games when he is pitching well, and he's coming off his best start of the season in 11 strikeout efforts, so hopefully Kyle Gibson can keep that going against the Marlins. His teammate, Dean Kramer, same matchup against the Marlins, same sort of situation, high ERA, but he'll give you that length that'll give you a quality start and a win if he doesn't have a bad start and uh, is actually going for his 10th win, I believe, because the Orioles offer him so many runs off, have such a good bullpen backing him up that Dean Kramer, even with that high area, tends to win a lot of games. So hopefully he can get number 10 against the Marlins. There's also Miles Michaelis going against the Nationals. Sort of the same situation with him, right? Good when he's good, he'll probably give you seven innings. Josiah Gray at the Cardinals. We're, we're already getting pretty scary here with that pick. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically the back half of this list, I don't really want to start. But hey, you may have no choice. Aaron Savale at Texas. Terrible matchup, obviously, but he's been pitching really well for them since returning. Has an ERA below three. Uh, J.P. Sears going against the Twins, the worst team against left-handed pitchers. Will he win his second game? Obviously, Sears deserves to have more wins than that, but he pitches for the A's. And also, I can't say with 100% certainty right now that he will actually be making that start over the weekend because the A's are one of the two teams that haven't announced their rotation plans yet. But if Sears is going, it's a good matchup against the Twins. Finally, Jake Live... Uh, I'm sorry. Jack Flaherty against the Nationals. Ben Lively against the Brewers. Michael Lorenzen at Seattle. These are all desperation plays. If you're just looking to fill out that staff, they're... They're pitchers who can sometimes pitch respectably and have decent matchups. Dean Kramer, by the way, is indeed going for his 10th win. So uh, good call there, Scotty. I had no idea that Kramer already had nine wins this season. That is a good job for him. Let's slide over to the sleeper hitters for just this weekend. And I think uh, one matchup in particular will stand out. It's the Yankees who are in Coors Field. So you might want to look at either one of those teams. I know you have written down here Elias Diaz, Harrison Bader. We'll get to those names here, Scotty. But uh, I think that very clearly stands out. The Yankees at Coors Field. Uh, which other sleeper hitters do you like for this weekend? So I like Brian De La Cruz and his teammate Garrett Cooper. They're both going against the Orioles. And so they get to face... Volatile pitchers like Kyle Gibson and Dean Kramer. So on the one hand, you're rooting for those guys to pitch well. On the other hand, you're rooting for them not to pitch well. Um, depending on which way that goes, either your sleeper hitters are going to pay off or your sleeper pitchers are going to pay off. <laughs> Hassan Kim at Philadelphia. He was red hot going into the break. And uh, it's actually the Phillies are one of the two teams with four games over the weekend. Them and the Padres have a doubleheader on Saturday. So that helps Kim. Uh, Jaron Duran. Duran, I'm sorry. It's Ezekiel Duran, Jaron Duran. Jaron Duran at the Cubs was uh, the hottest hitter in baseball heading into the break and seems to be the Red Sox' preferred choice to bat leadoff too. So he's an okay choice. Uh, let's see who else do I want to highlight here. Jamer Candelario going against the Cardinals and their highly volatile pitching staff. Jamer Candelario 
over his last 22 games is hitting 310 with five homers, four steals, and a 983 OPS. So that's pretty good. Luke Rayleigh of the Rays facing nothing but right-handers over the weekend, and those right-handers are very, very bad. (laughs) (laughs) Alec Marsh. Is it Alec or Alex? I don't even know his name. That's how bad he is. I think it's Alec. You got it. Yeah. Royals right-hander, bad. Jordan Lyles and Brady Singer. Uh, who else do we have here? Your guy, C.J. Abrams, going against the Cardinals. Dane Myers, my guy. Yeah. Going against the Orioles. And, yeah, the two guys you mentioned, Harrison Bader, seems like the one Yankees hitter available enough to recommend for that series at Colorado. And uh, Elias Diaz, all-star game MVP. Elias Diaz. The reason he punched his ticket to the All-Star game is because he's so good at Coors Field. His numbers there are, if I could pull them up real quick, Elias Diaz at home, 321 batting average, 903 OPS. Very good. Let's do it. Elias Diaz coming off that All-Star game MVP, as you mentioned, and... Uh, Alec Marsh, yeah, that's his name, Alec, and he's available in the Scott White Dynasty League. Scott, if you if you'd like to add him, he's that's uh, a twenty four team head to head points <laughs> league. We're not we're not every team has five pitchers they can put in their lineup, and he's available. So that shows you yeah what we think of Alec Marsh. <laughs> Let's slide over to the long ten day period. If you're playing in a head to head league where you've got that long matchup coming up from July fourteenth through the 23rd five sleeper pitchers you have written down here it's got Domingo Herman, Brian Wu, Seth Lugo, Aaron Savali and Reese Olsen. Excuse me. I don't know why I said his name like that. Brian Wu. <laughs> Is there uh one or two names that you'd like to highlight from that group? Uh Wu's matchups are against the Twins and the Blue Jays which don't sound like they're that good, but they're, they're both pretty middling, actually. In, in terms of runs scored, the Twins are 24th, and the Blue Jays are 13th. So those are actually decent matchups in a two-start week for from a pitcher who's pitched well, apart from his debut where he got shelled. Also, Seth Lugo coming off back-to-back quality starts at Philadelphia. They're only 17th in runs scored, and then at Detroit, of course, they're third to last. So those are two really good matchups, too. Uh, it's worth noting, if, if you weren't convinced to start Aaron Savale at Texas, understandably, his second start over the 10-day scoring period at Pittsburgh. Mm. That's a little bit better. I do like that one. Five sleeper hitters for the long week. Jake Fraley, TJ Friedel, the big red machine. We're firing it up. Brian De La Cruz has nine games. Jaron Duran has nine games. And my man, Seiya Suzuki, 59% rostered, 10 games in the 10-day scoring period coming up. Let's take... You'll you'll like this about Suzuki. So, Mm -hmm. projected to face five left-handers in those 10 games. Oh, yeah. He's a 319 hitter against lefties this year. Let's go, say a Suzuki. I still have him in a few spots, so uh, definitely could use a big, long week from Seiya Suzuki. Let's take our final break, and when we return, some news and notes, some trade deadline chatter, and then we'll wrap it up with our Week 17 preview here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome back and a big thanks to everyone watching us live. Smash that like button if you haven't already and subscribe on YouTube uh, if you haven't done that as well. Let's talk some news and notes and 
Rays manager Kevin Cash said last week that he's confident Shane McClanahan will be ready to return from the IL this weekend when first eligible and start Sunday in Kansas City. We don't have that confirmed yet. He's still battling uh, mid-back tightness. Scott, if we don't get an update by Friday when lineups lock, would you start Shane McClanahan or play it safe and keep him out? So I saw that he was coming back Saturday. Saturday? You might be right. There might have been something new that came out. Yeah. So I plan to have him in. All right. Oh, Sunday. Excuse me. Expect it back Sunday. All right. That sounds good. Let's do it. Fire him up. Shane O. Mac. Do I have it ready to go? Here comes the yeah. money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Yankees GM Brian Cashman said Thursday that there is no timetable for Aaron Judge to return from the IL. Judge did some light hitting last week, but still needs to run the bases and play in rehab games before he returns to the team. Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve will start rehab assignments at AAA this weekend. They've both missed some time due to oblique injuries. Max Fried will make his next rehab start at high A on Saturday. He recorded four outs in his first rehab outing last Sunday. Christian Javier will rejoin the Astros rotation and start Sunday against the Angels. Scott, are you starting Christian Javier, who has a 9.14 ERA over his last five starts? I'd rather not. I'm, I'm not bailing on him. I do think I'll figure it out, but I, I need to see him figure it out before I get him back in my lineup, I think, particularly with that matchup. If you're playing the three-game scoring period, do you drop somebody to pick up like a Ben Lively to start over Christian Javier? Uh, I don't know about that. I, I guess it depends how how, uh, how 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 droppable that player is that we're talking about. Right. I I agree with what you said earlier. The back half of those sleeper pitchers this weekend are a little bit scary. Obviously, you know, if the Orioles guys are available, I might take a shot on that, but uh, Gibson or Kramer. Yeah, Ben Lively. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm feeling that one. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. probably a no. I might just ride it out with Christian Javier. But um, it's it's been a rough go. I get it. Yandy Diaz was placed on the paternity list. We mentioned that earlier. Jonathan Aranda was recalled. Jose Arquiti will begin a, a rehab assignment at AAA on Friday as well. Scott, any interest in stashing Arquiti? He is 52% rostered. I wouldn't call it a high priority unless you play in like a 15-team league. But if you have a free IL spot, why not? I mean, the worst that happens is he comes back and he, rather than activate him, you just drop him. Rowanzi Contreras was transferred to the Florida Complex League to refine his form after a d- disappointing first half where he posted a 659 ERA and a 157 whip. Last but not least, Scott, we have not had the opportunity to talk about this recently because I think it actually happened the final day before the All-Star break, Friday, July 7th. Yuri Perez was officially optioned to AA, and per Craig Mish, Perez is not being shut down. The plan is for him to go to the minors and continue to throw. Uh, Clearly, this is being done to limit his workload for a potential call-up later in the season. There is no definitive time set on that. Again, that came from Craig Mish, and I've read some things, and I've seen some tweets. They've mentioned August as a possibility. We don't know that for sure. What happens, Scott? What do we do with Yuri Perez? Are you you just holding on and redraft and hope you can get, yeah. I don't know, maybe six or seven starts down the down the stretch? Yeah, I mean, I definitely like to. He's he's been pitching great. And I do think this is a preferable uh a, a preferable it is preferable to him just being shut down during crunch time, right? Like 
it's it's mid-August. You're you're fighting to get into the playoffs, or maybe you're already in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they just say Yuri Perez is done. Uh, this we don't we haven't seen teams handle it much that way anymore. Typically, they handle it more like this, where they just shut them down for a period, or maybe have them make a few uh, short starts, maybe skip them a turn here and there. And I do think that's preferable for fantasy purposes. It does mean you have a dead roster spot for the time being but you know anytime you like anytime you'd stash a prospect in the hope he's gonna come up and give a big payoff that's a dead roster spot for the time being too so this this isn't unfamiliar it's just we know what yuri perez can be when he comes back so that makes it all the more worthwhile if it's a 10 team league and you're really tight on roster space i don't know maybe you'll be forced into dropping him but it certainly wouldn't be what you're looking to do. The trade deadline is approaching. It is on Tuesday, August 1st, and some things are being floated out there right now. Per John Morosi of MLB.com, the Dodgers are interested in Lucas Giolito, which feels like a match made in heaven considering they need pitching. Giolito is from Los Angeles, and the Dodgers still have a ton of prospects ranked inside of the top 100. So maybe like a Michael Bush shakes free and gets an opportunity to play with the White Sox. Or Ooh, I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, I don't know if it'll be that high end of a prospect because it's. I think it's a rental for Giolito. He's free agent after this year, but uh, I think it would be good for his value to uh, get over to Los Angeles. It feels like a bunch of White Sox could be available at the deadline too, from Dylan Cease. Uh, the Welsh. The Welsh told me this the other day that Dylan Cease for Jordan Lawler has kind of been floated out there as a trade rumor, which I that would actually be a pretty massive trade for all parties involved. So. We'll see what happens. Uh, Tim Anderson, Lance Lynn, Liam Hendricks. I think all those names could potentially be available for the White Sox as well. We heard the other day the Cardinals will be sellers at the deadline. I think Tommy Edmond, Tyler O'Neill, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, and maybe even Jordan Hicks. That would squash my Jordan Hicks love, Scott, because I've been saying all this whole time, I think Jordan Hicks will be the Cardinals closer rest of season. Well, that's if he's on their team for the rest of the season, which is obviously not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he probably... Is there a contender that needs a closer? Uh, I, I know, know I'm putting you on the spot. Let's figure it out. I've got I got the standings pulled up here. Uh, Tampa I, I, Bay, I, no. Baltimore, no. Toronto, no. Yankees, maybe, actually. That might make some sense. Uh, They're not I really a contender. Jordan Hicks an upgrade over Clay Holmes, though. True. Uh, Guardians, no, but Class A has Did not been very good. you say the good. Yankees aren't really a contender? I don't like they're eight games out of the division. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're com- competing for a wild card spot. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my Yankee fandom. I don't think they're very good. At least not without Aaron Judge. So we'll we'll, we'll see when yeah, he gets back. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. But I I, I think they consider themselves contenders. Uh, yeah. So, I, yeah. I don't. I don't think if Jordan. I think if Jordan get, Hicks got traded, that would be the end of that. I'll tell you a team, Scott. Fantasy value. Uh, the the D backs. The okay, D backs. That's the team. No. Scott McGuff is great. You know I, I love, love Scott, Scott McGuff. McGuff. I have him in the Dynasty League, but you know that they're looking at their bullpen and they are tied for the NL West lead right now. You know yeah. that they want to add another arm. There's for certain sure. I can tell you they want to add another arm. They probably do, but I, I I don't think Jordan Hicks specifically would bump McGuff out of the closer spot. No, not necessarily. I don't. Uh, would Scott Barlow do it? I don't know. I don't know. Um. Anyway. I do want to say for the Cardinals that I would like to see Alec Burleson get more playing time. Out, 
fielder slash first baseman who has had stretches where he's played a decent amount uh, because of injuries or whatever, but they can't get him in the lineup regularly because obviously there's a log jam there. If they do trade uh, like a Tyler O'Neill, that would help to relieve things. I mean, it's possible Burleson just becomes a throw in and a trade himself and finds opportunity in a new organization. His average exit velocity and max exit velocity are both in the, uh, both, they're both over 60th percentile um, average and max exit velocity. And he's only striking out 11.2% of the time. And he's a guy who hit well over 300 basically from start to finish in the minors last year. So I, I think there's, I, I, I see potential in Alec Brosen, left-handed hitter, but I think he hit over 300 against lefties in the minors last year too. Definitely see the potential for him to become a useful fantasy option. I'm sure the Cardinals don't want to move Lars Nupar, but I'm just going to keep mentioning this, and hopefully I could speak it into existence. The Yankees should try and get Lars Nupar. <laughs> that would be awesome. I would love that. The Cubs aren't looking to extend Marcus Stroman, which sounds like he could be on the move. He has a player option after this season. Speaking of the Cubs, they could try and cash in on Cody Bellinger. Uh, I think that would make some sense for them. If the Tigers decide to uh, pack it in here, Eduardo Rodriguez could make sense for a contending team. Same thing with the Red Sox. They can try and cash in on James Paxton, who's pitched very well so far this year. Uh, Shane Bieber, it feels like we've heard his name kind of bandied about the past couple of years, and we know the Guardians don't typically give out like massive extensions. I know they gave one to Andres Jimenez, so uh, maybe they try and trade Bieber before, you know, to have to give him a contract extension. I played pickleball with Ariel Cohen on Thursday afternoon. It was our annual, you know, we've done tennis the past couple of years and now I played pickleball. It was amazing. I loved it. It's a really fun sport. I, I just ordered some paddles, but he brought up the Mets possibly moving Max Scherzer, which <laughs> I told him, are you crazy? But then I looked a little bit more into it and I said, yeah, I, I guess the Mets could be sellers. It's, Gosh, what a disaster that would be. 18 I don't, I don't and a half games behind the Braves. Uh, they have no chance at the division. I think they're eight, seven or eight games out of the wild card. Gosh. Yeah, they, they are. I, I didn't seven. realize they had fallen that much. It, it's funny because remember a couple years ago, um, everyone thought the Braves would be sellers at the deadline instead they brought in jock peterson adam duvall eddie rosario jorge soler a bunch of like minor moves they were they were they were without ronald acuna they were below 500 everyone thought they'd just pack it in instead they made these like low-end buys and then they caught fire and went on to win the world series so that's right like it's it's not too late i can't can't be you can't be certain what a team's going to do. I guess it's just the moral yeah. of the story there because they they may have a different view of how things could play out than you do. I agree. I know it's the All Star break, but like the Padres, for example, they're six games out of a wild card spot. That that's not insurmountable, right? Given the talent that they have on that team, I think the same thing could be said for the Mets, right? Seven games out, Scherzer and Verlander, they get going. Jose Quintana comes back. You know he. He's a serviceable back-end pitcher, whatever it might be. I, I still think those teams could go on a run. So I, I'm not ready to say that they are going to sell, but you know, mm-hmm. if they come out of the break and they're terrible for the next two weeks, yeah. then I maybe. Mean, obviously, we have a couple weeks before the trade deadline and things right. could look a lot different. Uh, a couple closers that could potentially be affected. Again, I don't think the Padres are going to sell. I've seen some people throw Josh Hader's name out there. I don't think that's going to happen, but 
Maybe I'll be wrong. Uh, would the Pirates move David Bednar? I don't think so. Could be wrong. The Mets, again, if they sell, they have David Robertson and Adam Adovino. That could be possible. I think Royals and Scott Barlow, that makes a lot of sense. They already traded away Aroldis Chapman. And if they do trade away Barlow, Carlos Hernandez, I think, would be the next man up. But my gosh, that team is bad. So... Not sure that it matters very much. Same thing nope. could be said for the A's, who uh, they could try and move Trevor May, but I, I don't think it matters either way <laughs> for fantasy purposes. Let's wrap up with our Week 17 preview, and this happens if you set your lineup for just this weekend. Then you got to set it again on Monday, and that's where this comes in. We've got two star pitchers here, Scott. Four names written down. Who are they? So we got Domingo Herman, who we highlighted at, for the for the long Week 16. If your league chooses to go. That way. It's the same two starts if it's just week 17. If you're breaking it into a regular week 17, Monday through Friday. Um, Domingo Herman at the Angels against the Royals. Obviously not a great matchup the first time, but if he gets through that, okay, then he's got that cush, plush matchup, cushy matchup, plush matchup against the Royals to close out the week. Brian Wu, you know, those, those same two opponents, the Twins and Blue Jays, I highlighted them. Wade Miley whose velocity has been way up since he returned from the IL. He hasn't had an amazing start yet. They've, they've been on the shorter side, but he's been good, and his stuff has been a, better than we've seen it in a very long time. At Philadelphia uh, versus Atlanta. Is that right? Versus Atlanta? I just copy and pasted what you said. Did I write the wrong thing? Because that doesn't sound right. I was going to say, that. that sounds scary, man, <laughs> against the Braves. Uh, Milwaukee. Yeah, I guess it is versus Atlanta. Okay. That's more of a points league only recommendation and a chance to talk about Wade. But like he's on the lower end of the two, the, the sleeper pitchers for week 17. Right. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been doing some interesting things since coming off the IL and then, and then Matt Manning, even more of a stretch at Kansas city versus San Diego. Those are better matchups. And Matt Manning has pitched okay of late. I just don't have a lot of confidence in the skill set there. You know, two names I wanted to ask you about earlier for just the this weekend series is Lance Lynn at the Braves and Carlos Rodon at the Rockies. Would you be okay starting those two guys this weekend? I think I'm a complete no old Lance Lynn. I'm, I'm not starting him against the Braves, but... Look, if you held on to Rodon all year, I know it's at Coors Field. I, I think I would throw him out there. Look, they're not priority plays. It, and it's it's harder to justify in a categories league, I think, in both cases. Mm-hmm. In a points league, I think, okay, if if if, if those are if Lynn and Rodon are among the few options you have to slot in your lineup in a points league, I'd probably just go ahead and do it. But in a categories league, I might think twice. I might look and see if there is a Kyle Gibson available. I might start a reliever instead. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully you have choices apart from them. Speaking of single-star streamers getting back into next week, week 17, for the Monday lineup setting period, uh, some names that you've already talked about here, Scott, you've got six single-star streamers written down. Yeah, and fortunately, since I have a whole seven days to choose from, the matchups are actually good for all of these pitchers. Aaron Savale, here he is again at Pittsburgh. Uh, Seth Lugo at Detroit. JP France at Oakland. Miles Michaelis against the Marlins. Kyle Hendricks against the Nationals. 
and Michael Lorenzen at Kansas City. Savale, Lugo, and France are the ones I'm most excited about. Um, they would I would rank all of them ahead of the two-star Wade Miley, for instance. I'd probably rank Miles Michaelis against the Marlins ahead of the two-star Wade Miley as well. So if you're prioritizing, that's how I'd go with that. I like Kyle Hendricks too, Scott, no? Not as much confidence there? I mean, he's not going to give you any strikeouts. That's true. How deep is he going to work into the game? I don't know. I, I think I'd rather go with the two-star Wade Miley over Hendricks, uh, even even though one of those starts is against the Braves. But, you know, kind of depends what you're what you're looking for. It's it's most likely a points league scenario either way because Hendricks, you know, he might give you two strikeouts, so it's even worth starting in Roto. <laughs> and uh, because we're thinking in terms of points leagues there, that obviously reduces the risk of of Miley doing something really bad for you. Let's wrap up with some hitter analysis. The best hitter matchups for next week. The Astros, Giants, Tigers, Cubs, and the Reds. The worst hitter matchups. Blue Jays, Mariners, Twins, White Sox, and Guardians. With that being said, Scott, your favorite sleeper hitters for week 17. Yeah, so you mentioned the Reds have the fifth best matchup. Interestingly, all seven of their games are at home the most favorable home run environment in baseball. So we got Jake Fraley here. We got TJ Friedel here. We got Joey Votto here. Their numbers for the, the season are all great. I don't even know that they, they might be matchups independent plays at this point. Obviously, in Fraley's case, you want to make sure there are righties on the schedule. That is true for this week. Five of the seven games are against righties. But Fraley... Uh, looking at points leagues here where you'd think the law of playing time would hurt him even more. Braley this year has outscored Brian Reynolds. He's outscored Josh Lowe. He's outscored Whit Merrifield. He's outscored Brian De La Cruz. He's outscored a lot of players who have been playing every day and, and we think of as being pretty good. So I, I think Jake Braley at this point is being highly overlooked in fantasy. TJ Friedel, you know, he's, he's basically starting lefties and righties now, batting leadoff against righties. Uh, steals bases, hits for average. Joey Votto, of course, has hit for a lot of power since coming back from the aisle. Hopefully that continues. Riley Green returned from the aisle just before the break. His roster rate is down to 75%, so he now qualifies for this list. You mentioned the Tigers have the third best matchups. Four-game four series at Kansas City to open the week. Uh, Riley Green probably shouldn't be as available as he is, and, and so hopefully... Hopefully he'll uh, he'll perform in a way that gets him picked up in a lot of leagues. Brian De La Cruz, who I mentioned earlier, um, at St. Louis for three versus Colorado for three, just really good matchups. He's he appears on this list a lot anytime the Marlins have good matchups because he's a pretty good hitter. Garrett Cooper has was on fire before the break. He's only twenty four percent rostered, so highly available. Has the same favorable matchups as Brian De La Cruz. Dane Myers, I'll go ahead and give him a shout-out here, too, as the Marlins center fielder with those solid matchups. Today is Suzuki. You know, I talked about him already. The Cubs have a lefty-heavy schedule for Week 17, four in seven games. He's batting nearly 320 against lefties. Uh, okay, here's a new name. Mauricio Dubon, the fill-in for Jose Altuve, who's injured. 
uh, on the Astros. And not only is he filling in for Altuve at second base, he's filling in for him as the Astros' leadoff hitter as well. The Astros, not only is it favorable matchups, they're facing five left-handers in their six games. Mm. And against left-handers, Dubon is batting, I think, about 350. He's batting 355 against left-handers. So five left-handers in six games. He's batting in the leadoff spot for the Astros. Obviously, he doesn't have a lot of power or speed, but a favorable lineup spot and likely to get out a lot of hits with the schedule the Astros are looking at this week. So Mauricio Dubon, probably just one and done. Altuve is going to be back before too long. But right now, Dubon is useful. You know, I think a lot of that analysis could be used for Corey Jolts as well. He's played very well for the Astros and against lefties this year, he's hitting 314 with an 824 OPS. But I also don't know when Jordan Alvarez is going to be back. Maybe it's next week. So yeah, I think cu- he'll be back. Yeah. Could kind of cut in there on Corey jokes, but uh, if not, if Jordan Alvarez is not back, then uh, I think he kind of makes for an okay play for the same reasons. We're going to wrap there, Scott. We did it. The first half is in the books. Baseball is back. The second half is here. I'm excited. Let's do it. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye.